Again, I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad you're here. I want you to turn your Bibles to First uh, Samuel chapter 30, First Samuel chapter 30. You're, you're, I'm sure you're very familiar uh, with First Samuel chapter 30, as all of us are. But I just want to lift a few things off the pages, and I would pray that they would land square dead in your heart and would encourage your heart. This is a very awful time in the soon-to-be king's life. But how many of you know God is in the midst of it? Let's read this. It says in First uh, Samuel chapter 30, verse 1 through uh, 10 is what we'll read. And, it's, and the, the whole thing will be blessed, but there's something I specifically want to tell you at the end, and that's found through 8 through 10. Something just for you, First New Testament, all of us for you. But I think that this is something specifically God wants to speak to us out of verse 8 through verse 10. Notice what it says. And it came to pass. That's a big deal right there. When David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day. That the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captive and were therein they slew not any. Either great or small but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came unto the city and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Then David and his people that were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinium and the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his son and for his daughter. But David encouraged himself in his God. And David said to Abathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abathar brought Thyther the ephod to David. David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after these troops? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, somebody say, Recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Bezar, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued and he, his 400 men, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezar. Thank you for your word, Father, and breathe on it. In Jesus' name, we pray. You know, there are more victories in Christ for us to gain. This is a dark, dark hour in the life of the man that we know, David. The man that the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. He's a man in, in chapter 27. God's been promising him. Saul's been behind him for the last seven years but the hand of God has been gracious upon his soul and he has been consistently delivering him from battle after battle adversity after adversity he finds himself in after receiving such a great promise that God was surely going to make him to be the king over Israel and right after that his heart got really faint he said you know what I might as well just go to the world because Saul gonna one day kill me he went and turned to the Philistine places and Achish, and he received a parcel called Ziklag. And for the next 16 months of this man's life, something began to come out of him that, my God, it was very vicious. It was very dark. It was very evil. It was very wicked. He began to live a duplicitous life, a hypocritical life of going into those those Canaanite cities that God had a, a curse to be uh, completely eradicated and he would go in and he would rob and he would kill women and he would kill the men of that town to cover up his sin and then the next thing you know that he finds himself with Achish in the time of war and what was told to him was you're my servant and you're going to go out to battle along with me he has gotten himself so deep into sin that he couldn't get himself out if he 
thought of any reasoning way to get himself out. Only God could deliver him from that place in his life that he got so deep in the sin. And God did just that. He did just that through the distrust of, of, of the commander of the, the Philistines that said, I don't trust this man. I remember exactly what he did to Goliath, and I don't want him around me fighting any battles with me because if he does, all he's going to do is turn on us, send him away from here. You see, God made a way of escape for him. Even in the darkest places of that man's life, somehow the spirit of God was moving in that man's life because God is a God that will never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us in the weakest and the darkest and the most messed up moments of our life. His character remains faithful to the end. We better thank God that we are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves, but it is a gift of God that when we are in the most darkest hours of our life, it is by grace we are justified by grace and not by works. Now, you got to realize something, and there's something to note. There's this looming verse a New Testament principle that if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This marks this man's whole life. As long as he walked according to the spirit, it didn't matter the oppression that he was up under, under Saul. He consistently increased. His life consistently spiritually grew. Which is the first time that we look in our text today that David is now experiencing loss. He's experiencing loss because he has walked away and walking outside of the will of God. And now he is fighting battles that God did not ordain for him to fight. He's Meaning to the arm of his flesh. Oh God, this is extremely important to us to understand. You might be in the most complicated and the most difficult places in your life right now. But as long as you continue to walk in the spirit, you'll see increase in your life. Even in the difficulties of your life. Even in the hardships of your life. The Bible says that the more that the, that the Pharaoh beat the Egyptians, the Israelites, was the more that they increased. You see, with the life of the Spirit living in you, that's the whole testimony of the gospel. You can't kill God. And no matter what you use, nothing in this life can kill God. And if God live on the inside of you, no weapon formed against you will ever prosper. We look at this man's life. And long as he was with God, he increased. He gets weak, he walks away. But God still is working in his dear brother's life the same way he's still working on our behalf because it's not by works, but it's by faith in Christ. So we move on. And the Bible is very clear. As he says this, that God began to squeeze David. Please understand me. That, that God was doing something in David's life. The, the concept behind Ziklag, it's a, it's a squeezing place. It's a place that God begins to so press a person, not for their defeat, but for there to be a spiritual renewal to take place in their life. You remember when, 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 when Uzzah touched the ark of God and God killed him dead. And while God did that and brought great punishment upon him, we got to also remember the condition that David was in even then. And the Bible says that the ark was brought back and just placed in some holding place of Obed-Edom. And David, while everybody else that suffered the judgment of God, they would just haul that ark off and put it in some forest somewhere. But what David did was David just began to long. And David began to say, man, I want, I, I, I need God. I need him. But that need went into, I, I want God. You see, what God was doing was stirring his appetite. He was stirring his cravings that, that I, I've not been with God, but I want God. And sometimes God will take the most tragic situations in our life and the most travailing times in our life to stir hunger in our heart. To put us back in the right relationship with him. Not to just merely be existing. But to be effective in the power of the spirit of God. That's in operation in the life of the child of God. You are not called to just merely exist. 
You are called to take territory for the glory of Almighty God. And sometimes God uses the circumstances of our life and in the darkest places of our life not to put us down, not to dog us out, but to somehow allow those things to work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose to where he might lift us back into an effective place to be used for his glory. Somebody say amen to that. Not trying to hurt, but it's in the squeeze. That what comes to surface is what's in a man. But there's a potential that lies there. That when we find ourselves in the squeeze of life, the potential is there in a natural man to flee because we run us by nature. By nature, we run us. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a supernatural thing. Living for God and standing in faith with God is not natural. It's supernatural. It's by faith. So when we find ourselves in these places such as this, the temptation is for us to take our hands outside of God's hand and work our own plan. But it's through the spirit of God that when we're squeezed, that's when we stand in that place and what's been there through the life of God, it presses in and say, I don't have another option. I don't have another plan. I've got nothing to lean on other than the God that I serve and that saved me. This is the situation that David finds himself in in our text today. Now notice what the text tells us. It says that it came to pass. Oh, you could imagine that nothing could be any worse than getting it worse than where he already at. He's already been rejected by Israel. He's already found himself now moving toward the world. And the Philistines have as well rejected him. He moves back to Ziklag. And he gets back to Ziklag only to find it burning with smoke. And his children and, his, and, 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 and all of the men's children and wives have been taken. You would imagine it can't get no lower than this. But let me tell you something. When you operate in the flesh, you leave an open door for that devil to come in and take what's not rightfully belongs to him. God said about Abimelech, about Amalek, that there would be wars of generation after generation with Amalek. Let me tell you something, church. Ain't nothing that devil's supposed to take from you without warfare. Ain't nothing the devil is to take from the child of God without warfare. And while David is tampering around and out the will of God, he left the back door open for the enemy to come into his own family and their families and take what was not theirs. Church, it is so important that we cleave to this life of the spirit to where there ain't nothing that the devil is going to take from Christ's church without a spiritual battle. There is nothing that the devil can take from this church without a spiritual battle. There's nothing the devil can take from your family without a spiritual battle. We are to fight the good fight of faith. The kingdom of heaven suffered violence. But the violent take it by. Folks, this is too easy. It's too easy to just walk right on in and take an inheritance that does not belong to them. God gave them that. This all happened under the, under the oppressive attacks of, of Saul. But look what the Lord had done. 600 wounded and battered men came to him. And God began to increase that. And grow that. Can I tell you something? I bet if you'll stop complaining so much and look around, you'll see that the Lord has increased your life more than you would like to say he has. Come on, give the Lord some praise right there. Now, now notice this in the text. In the text, it said that the Amalekites came 
and said they took the invaded and they burned it and they took the women and they took the children. Now I want you to think about something because in chapter 27, the Bible tells us when David was in the darkest moments of his life, he was living like an absolute awful man. He was going into Canaanite towns that God had cursed and he was pillaging that place. And the Bible says that he, he killed women and he killed men. And surely he had to kill children to cover up his hypocrisy. But now the Bible says in this that the same people that he went in and took stuff from them and killed their very own, the Amalekites gave him something back. But it said that they did not kill the women and they did not kill the children. Can I tell you something? We oftentimes don't get what we dish out. We oftentimes, when you talk about mercy, it is said that mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. And if that's the case, in chapter 27, in chapter 27, he got blood all on his hands. He's been dishing out straight dirt. But now you see, when the tables have turned, that God has been so gracious and God has been so lenient and God has been so merciful to David to where he would not allow him to reap what he had dished out. Man, I'm telling you the truth. You can say what you won't say. I don't want what I deserve. I don't want God to be fair with Shedrick Winfield. I need mercy. I need grace. I don't want God to give me what you hear people go through things sometimes and what they say, I don't deserve this. This ain't fair. And if I hear language like that, if I'm in the vicinity, what I'm saying to myself, Lord, I don't know what the people are talking about, but I know me, I want mercy. I want grace because I know what I deserve. All I deserve, and can I go on and just include you into that story as well? What we deserve is death, hell, and the grave. But thanks be unto Jesus that we have been born by the Spirit. And we live in Him. We live by imputed righteousness. We live by righteousness that was earned by His faithfulness. That was earned by his perfect thoughts. That was earned by his perfect life. And if a man going to come to God with brokenness, even as David said, I call upon you my righteous God. I've got no righteousness. My righteousness that I've got come from God. And that's how I'm going to approach his throne. This is mercy. You think back over your life. You think about the things that you find yourself with blood on your hands. But because of the blood of Jesus, our lives have been washed as pure as snow. We lean, we lean into the grace of Almighty. God, are y'all with me this morning? Come on, are you with me? If See, this is the glorious picture of what hope looked like. This is the glorious picture of the hope of the gospel. That when we have fallen so far from God, when a sinner has fallen so far away from God, that this text shows us in these first two verses that it don't matter how far away you may have fallen from him, there is hope that if you will come back to him, nothing will be accounted to your charge by the grace of God. This is not by works. Saints, this is the hope of the gospel. And man, it's in these times of tribulation that the channels of our heart become most open. Have you noticed that about your life? It's in the, it's in the time of tribulation that the channels of a human's heart becomes open. God's got to bring him to this place. I don't want to be in a place like this. God's got to bring a man to a place like that. For one reason. To get that man again. To put that man back in a fruitful place. In his life. 
for that man to come to the end of himself. And oftentimes we don't turn to God unless something up close and personal is going to affect our life. We oftentimes, saints of God, you know I'm telling the truth. Come here. Come on with me. Walk with me. We oftentimes, we don't really take serious the spiritual components of our life until God touches what's most important to us. It's when we get right with God. And thank God, thank God for his wisdom. Thank God that he can use everything on the spread of his table to draw us back into his loving arms. That man in Matthew chapter 18 came and as, he, as the king came and reckoned the account, he called him and said, you owe me. I don't have it. Take his wife, take his money, take his possessions, take his children, take everything. I want justice. And that man fell to his knees. Why? Because when it touched us, that's when we get it right with God. That's when we remember what our first love looked like. And that's how we remember how dependent we need to be on God. And we don't have what it takes ever for to get out of anything that we've gotten ourselves into. We need the help of God. You, sir, need the help of God. Your money cannot get you out of where you at. Notice this. Let's move through the text. Are y'all with me? F-N-T, are you with me? Notice this in verse 4. It says that David and the people that were with him lifted up their voices and wept. You been there? Until they had no more power to weep. And David, two wives, were taken captive. Ahinium, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. Do you, do you see the redundancy of the language of the text? It's consistently telling us that David's wife were taken. Okay, cool. We get it. But you, you see the, the repetitive language because the text is trying to tell us something. The text is trying to tell us that, like, David is going through the same thing that those men are going through. He's just as oppressed as those men are. He's in the most difficult place of his life just as well as everything. But I think the text is lifting off the pages is that, that David identifies with the people that he's leading. See, that's, that's what it is with our Christ. When we go through pain and when we go through struggle, when we go through difficulties and hardships in our life, we do not have a high priest, a great high priest, who is not touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But in, in no wise was he tempted in any way, but he understands where we're at. Jesus came as a man, and he relates to our hurt. He relates to rejection. He relates to all of those things. We serve a Christ that relates. Now, clear enough, David is not the perfect Messiah. He's not the perfect king. But he's the closest thing Israel got. To the Lord Jesus Christ. And we in the New Testament. We can take heart. And take hope. In this glorious reality. That the Lord Jesus. He understands where you're at. He knows where you're at. And you know where he's at. He's just where he's at positioned in the text. He is right among those. Who are going through hardships. And difficulties. And suffering. And you say Jesus. Where are you at in my situation? He right in your mess with you. Because he is touched. With the feelings of your infirmities. And he understands rejection. Quite well. He understands rejection. Quite well, Jesus told his disciples, every one of you, every one of you tonight will leave me. You will be offended because of me and you will leave me. But he said this, but I'm not alone. He said, my father is with me. And out of 600 men that walked into this affliction, you got one man, one man that's standing in the midst of the affliction having the hardships of it poured out on him, and that one man is going to press in and touch the heart of God to move that whole group of people who will die in this defeated place, but going to move these people to victory. To vic Can I tell you something? I know oftentimes, I know oftentimes, I'm not taking anything from, from the text, and I'm not taking anything from the church. 
But oftentimes we read the text and we say, I'm David. I beg to differ with you. We the 600 that came to Jesus beat up, wounded, and battered. But we found in our Christ a resting place. And he making great men out of us. I would dare to say that God oftentimes has, has a man in the midst of a people that he will instill something in that will move people into places to build their faith, to be examples. And we know who that is. We know today who that man is. That man is Jesus Christ. Paul said, I, Paul said I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ live in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, watch this. I live by the faith of the Son of Man who loved me and gave his life for me. I dare to believe today by the grace of God that it don't matter where you're standing at right now. Oh, if you just but call upon the name of the Lord, he'll respond to you because he hears you. He knows where you're at. Stop saying, don't nobody know where I'm at. The devil is alive. They got a man that walked right through where you was at and knows quite well. What you're going through, your pain, sees the low places of your life, and he's there to help you through it and to walk with you through it. And guess what he's not doing? He's not condemning you in it because there ain't no condemnation to them that's in Christ Jesus. Yes, somebody could say, well, like the men, they, they, they turn to, to condemn David and to dog him because that's the flesh. It's the blame game. Somebody, we getting ready for the charge for this. You hear it in our society all the time. This is just not acceptable. Language sickens you to your stomach. This is just not acceptable. Call for people's head. But this, David did not do. David, he pressed in. And he said this in verse 6. Y'all with me? He pressed in in verse 6. What he said was, and David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning. Because the souls of the men were grieved, every man for his son and his daughter. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. What, what do you do? Like, what do you do? When your day is the most disastrous day of your life and your future looks bleak, you can't even see yourself in a tomorrow. The most valuable thing that you've known to life, it now seems to be gone. What do you do? I tell you what you do. You look back and you remember. You remember what the Lord has done for you. It's quite simple, but it's always, oftentimes, not that easy to practice. Now, you can be like the 500. And 99, that sit in the ashes and whine and complain and cry and play the blame game. And, oh, woe is me. Oh, you could allow something to rise up on the inside of you and start remembering that I was nobody when God put his hands on me. David said, I remember I was out there in the sheepfold being rejected by my own parents. And God called my name and brought me and paraded me in front of my own brothers. And he poured that oil of the spirit over my life. And my life wasn't the same since then. I remember when I was out there tending the sheep. I didn't know how to sing. I didn't know what instruments was. But God taught me. He called me his own. And he tutored me because you don't need a man to teach you the anointing. The spirit will do that. God began to do something in that man's life. I remember when the bear and the giants and the sheep and... and and, and the bears tried to take my possession and something rose up on the inside of me and I ripped them to pieces because of the anointing that was upon my life. I remember when Abigail told me, you shall surely ascend to the, the throne of God. The Lord is with you. Church of God, the most greatest thing about walking with God is you don't have to walk alone with God. You are where you at today because the Lord has been with you the whole time. You've not done it by yourself. David said, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'm not just talking about something when we're at church. I'm not talking about goodness and mercy following you when you're at church. Come here, Russell. Come here, big hand. Come here. You can't say Henry without saying big hand. You big man. Goodness and mercy. Follow me all 
the days of my life. I'm not talking about just in church. Come on, goodness and mercy. All the, I, I left out the church. I left out the church. And getting a car wreck, but goodness and mercy. They catch me. I wasn't going down. <laughs> Can I be real with you? To the young lady that's on the abortion pay, on the abortion table, thinking about getting an abortion. Come on, goodness and mercy. The Bible says, follow me all the days of my life. She on the abortion table and may have had the abortion, but guess what? Goodness and mercy follow her all the days of her life. I'm talking about when it looked like life had been expired. For but goodness and mercy followed me all the days of my life. That's what David encouraged himself in the Lord. And sometimes, saints, you might not have nobody around you to encourage you. But the book says, thank you, goodness and mercy. I ain't falling no more. But the Bible says that David encouraged himself. He lifted his spirit. He built himself up. But Lord, you've been with me. And while those 600 men, they're, they're not with me right now. But Lord, you're with me. Jesus said, every one of y'all going to leave me. But I'm not alone. The Lord is the one that walks with me. When it seems like nobody don't understand where you at, God does understand where you at. And he'll give you wisdom in the dark hours of your night. He'll give you peace in the most conflicting times of your life. Oh, I remember. Let me tell you my business. But don't tell nobody else. Y'all with me. I remember when we got the church. We had just bought 8.6 acres of land. And I'm sleeping. I had a dream. And God showed me a, a whole storm was coming through the church. It's going to touch every auxiliary. And I said, no, no, I don't want to go through that. It didn't prevent God from purging me and sanctifying me through that difficult time. We went through it. And it was hard. It was embarrassing. It was painful. It was everything you could imagine, emotions that were flowing through my heart. And one night I'm laying in my bed and I'm just scared. I'm looking at the ceiling. I said, Lord, I'm terrified. I ain't never been in a place like this before in my life. And there was something that the Lord spoke, and that was Matthew 10, affirming that he had called me. And I got up and I went in my prayer closet, and I just sat there on the floor. And I said, Lord, everything you told me and Mary to do, we did it. But it then got us to the edge of a cliff, and I heard the tenderness of God because he's a perfect gentleman. I've never heard God fuss at me not one time. He's a perfect gentleman. And I heard the Lord speak to my heart and say, Shedrick, I'm not trying to get you to the edge of the cliff. I'm trying to push you off the cliff, son, because off the cliff you can't do nothing but trust me. But on that cliff you can manipulate things and lean to your own understanding. But if you'll lean in my hands, I'll show you the power and the grace of God that will not fail you. If you're in a place today by the grace of God, I'm telling you, the Lord has strong hands and you can lean upon him for provision and protection and for grace. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come on. Come on, somebody. David got in this here all by himself. It was just him and God. And along the journey, you get to meet people. You get to enjoy fellowship with people. But they come and they go. But the only one, the only one. Can I just tell you my business? Don't tell nobody. Don't tell nobody. When we went through that, I was mad. I was angry. I was frustrated. I threatened God. I threatened myself, I'm going to sell that land. I ain't trusting nobody else again in my life. I don't want to be bothered with people. I don't want, I don't want pastor people. I just going to pastor my church. And I, I, that must have went on for two months. I guess God said, I'm sick of you. I'm talking my language. This ain't how God talks. This is my interpretation. I'm sick of you. He said, Shedrick, if you finish, if you ain't trusting nobody else, get out. And it was strong. I got quiet. Well, you're not going to bless nobody else. I can't use you now. I put you in this to be a blessing to people. 
You finish trusting people, get out. Let me tell you something, Chevy. I'm the only one that told you I'll never leave you or I'll never forsake you. Everybody from time to time will lose sight of what your call is, of what God is doing in your life. The only one that will never lose sight is Jesus Christ. He told his disciples, he said, y'all going to leave me. He walked up to him and said, look, I'm going to Jerusalem where I will suffer at the hands of the priests, the scribes. He said, in three days, I'm going to raise you. Meet me in Jerusalem. Hear that. He knew that they were going to forsake him. But he never lost sight of the plans that God had for their life. And he said, when I'm risen, see y'all, the ones who's sitting in the, talking about some, which one is going to be the greatest when he dead? Love them to the very end. You see, it, 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 sometimes it can seem humorous, but it's painful. And trials have a tendency to raise up some of the most ugly, the most nasty, the most vicious, and the most violent things that can come from the soul. Are y'all with me? That was just this side that said, Amen. Are, are y'all with me? Please don't act like I don't know your story. The book tells on all of us. And none of us is the hero in the story. The hero of the book is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ only. That's why it's so sweet, man, to just be free in church. Y'all here? He encouraged himself in the Lord. What do you do? You begin to remember the things that God has done. Because here's the reality. This is something that David did, and this is before the cross. Calvary hadn't even gotten here yet. And yet, David has this boldness to come into the very presence of God and to find help in time of trouble. He encouraged himself, but life doesn't just end with just us encouraging each other. It's good for the shout. It's good for the dance all over the floor. The Bible actually said that Jesus got a shout in church. And he said that we going out with a shout. And he encouraged himself. I'm sure there was a praise break in that. I'm sure there was some shouting and some howling and some screaming because we've seen how David worships God. But it didn't stop that because he still ain't got nothing. He got encouragement, but he still ain't got no family. He still ain't got no victory, but he sure got encouragement. Can I tell you something? Whenever we finish hopping and dancing around the church floor, you still got to go be a possessor. You still got to not walk out your faith. You still got to put action to what you feel and you sin. Oh, the Holy Ghost dealt with me today. Okay, let's see what's going to come out of that. Let's see what you're going to go and possess. Let's go see what persuasion of the heart you've fallen under for to go take something from what does not belong to the devil and get it back into your possession. Oh, it's good for the encouragement, but it can't end that. The next thing David said, bring me that ephah. Bring me that ephah. That's a type of the presence of God. Bring that ephod to me. I, I don't want to just be encouraged. I need to find God's presence now. David got the presence of God. And again, this before the cross. Not 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, he hung, bled, and died to wipe away every accusation that Satan would ever have against his people, nailing it, the Bible says, to the cross. You can imagine, most people wouldn't have got up and even got to the presence of God. David has to go through the accusations of his soul. He has to fight through the, 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 the shame. He has to fight through the hurt. He has to fight through the pain to get into the presence of God. There are times in our life that you've got to fight through hell. To get through the places of breakthrough for your life. 
to get to the places that where God can do something in our life. And the encouragement is massive and it's wonderful. But what we need now is to access the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, there's the fullness of joy. And at his right hand is pleasures evermore. I don't just need uh, to be encouraged. What I need is power because the Bible said that they wept and wept until no man could weep no more. They were weak and faint-hearted. So what David did was say, what I need power in my life. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, you don't just have a shout and you don't just have worship. What you do have is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Not to just hop and scream all over the place. But after all of the hopping and screaming, oh, don't I thank God. Don't we thank God for being able for to worship God with a reality that the Holy Spirit of God takes that which belongs to Jesus and shows it to us. We worship because it is a reality in our heart of what Christ has done. But when that's over, the next phase is I need power to go and possess. The name of the game is possession. Not just shouting, not just hollering, not just screaming. But it's the will of God that we possess. What's rightfully ours through the person of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Man, the enemy don't mind us hollering and screaming and shouting. Just stay defeated. He don't mind us hollering, screaming and shouting. Just stay oppressed. Let me tell you something. You cannot get in the presence of God and still sit in a heap of ashes. You cannot encounter the presence of God and sit in dead places of defeat and despair, and oppression, you cannot encounter the presence of God and sit in a place like that. Those men are defeated, and they ain't looking for to go nowhere. But the book says in Romans chapter 6 and 14, sin, sin shall not have victory over you. That's a promise. So in the midst of your difficulty, your old child of God, rise up. It's not the Lord on the throne. It's not the Lord the giver of all life. It's not the Lord the great mighty battler of our soul. It's not the Lord delights himself in doing you good. Get yourself out of heaps of ashes and stand fast and see the salvation of the Lord. Listen to the voice of the spirit that's living on the inside of you. I promise you, he ain't saying, well, well, I know. That ain't Jesus. Moses tried the same thing. When God said, go. Stop that whining and stretch that rod out and go. That's the voice of God. You think God encouraging you in your despair and in your dead places? There's a victory for you. There's more for you. You think the best part of what God has for you is behind you? No, no ma'am. And no, sir. This is from victory to victory and from faith to faith. And from glory to glory. And can I tell you something? You're going to have to get up in order for to go possess it. You're going to have to get up in order for to possess it. In the name of Jesus Christ. Now notice this. Are y'all here? Notice this. Notice this. What the text says. In 8, 7 and 8. David says this, and David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abathar brought Phitha the ephod to David. David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after the troops? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue. Thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. I thank the Lord for encouragement. I, I want you to I want you to press in on this. I thank God for this. The, the, the Bible is, 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 is very clear that it's through the person of Jesus that every single thing that may look like a potential loss in your life, the marching orders of God is I have more for you. No matter how it looks, you're looking at that. Why don't you look to him? And why don't you inquire of him, Lord, what's next in my life? Through the cross, none of us, that does not have to be the final resting place. 
for the child of God. These last few verses, and I'm done. It says this in 9 and 10. So David went, he and his six, this is miraculous. You see these two verses are absolutely supernatural. He says, so David went, he and his 600 men that were with him and came to the brook Bezar where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezar. Let me just tell you this. Offenses. Offenses in the church is what causes the church to lose its inheritance. I want you to hear me well, FNT. FNT. I don't know why I always want y'all for to be F-O-N-T. <laughs> Offenses can cause the church's inheritance to stay in the hands of the enemy. While we fight with one another, the enemy having a party over what, what's the church's. said that Ahimelech, Abimelech, Ahimelech was partying and having a feast over the spoils that they had taken. And David and his men are in the camp and they're wanting to kill him. And you can see what offenses can do. May the Lord give his church one spirit. One spirit. Those that walk in the spirit are mature enough to let go of personal offenses between one another. You can have disagreements, but still be unified in spirit. If not you, if not, you won't accomplish much for the Lord. It will always be short-lived. Those men still trusted that David heard from the Lord. Very profound. And they wanted to kill him and they wanted to stone him. David went and got a word from God. And came back to those people. And those people literally trusted. That David. Had received a word from the Lord. These are the same guys that wanted to stone him. David got a word from God. He knew what God was telling him. Would take the whole body. To move. As one man. Are you with me? They could have looked at David and said. Man get out of my face. I don't trust your leadership no more. You done messed around there and got my kids taken. You done messed around there and got my wife taken. Man, get out of my face. I'm done with you. Can I tell you the deepest part of who you are is your spirit, man? The deepest part of who you are is your spirit, man. Christ did not just die for us to be soulish people. He died for us to be a people that were spirit. And that we will be unified in spirit. Are you with me? Ephesians chapter 4, 3 and 13 says, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. Here's my prayer for First New Testament. Within any local body, there is always offenses everywhere. Am I right? Come on. Am I right? We're just human beings. But the deepest part of who you are is in the spirit. And those men could have just sat there and said, I don't want nothing to do with you no more. But they trusted the spirit of that man. And they could not deny what their lives had became under his leadership. So therefore, in spite of the offense that had happened, there was something deeper to it. And David understood that he could not win a victory without those men right on side of him fighting. Church, I encourage you this morning by the grace of God. You might be in the biggest struggle of your life. You can stand in the heap of ashes and you can whine and you can complain and you can think that life is over. Or you can encourage yourself in the Lord. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. And after doing so, press in. Press in. And receive power for the faintness of our hearts and of our life. So that God can refill. So that God can re 
re-envision so that God can set you on the course to what he has ordained for thy life for the glory of his own namesake. This morning, let's pray. If, if you're here first and you are outside of relationship with Jesus, I want to offer to you a personal relationship with him. If your life is like in shambles, like it's in shambles, like the, the windows of your house have been left open and doors have been left open. It's just like the enemy, man, it's just a free fall with that life. The Lord is your protector and he wants to love you and he wants you to be his. And so if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal savior, we want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Also, if you're here today and, and you're like David, saints, you're tired, you're in a weary place, seems like all hope is gone, the Lord wants to give you more. You've not seen the best days of your life yet, but they're ever before you through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to him. Trust him today. Let him give you a freshness and a renewal in the spirit that you so desperately need. If you're here and you have offenses, and those offenses are causing you, really it's causing the enemy to win. They're hurting the body of Jesus Christ. And you've got to lay those offenses down so that you can move on and win more battles for Christ's glory. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for the goodness of God. Father, we thank you so much that our heavenly Jesus, he has won the battle. He's won the battle, Lord, and he has walked through the afflictions of life. And he knows where we're at. And so by grace this morning, Lord God, we press in and pray that the Holy Spirit of God would renew our hearts. We pray that the Holy Spirit would empower us to let go of the offenses that we can continue, Lord God, to walk through this place of victory. There can be no victory with holding on to the offenses. Let us be a unified church in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We bless you this morning and we glorify you in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray these blessings. Come this morning, church, if that's you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus.